We never got a great explanation on that. I, honest to God, like yeah. they said it was a spark potentially from something underground and the gases. I remember seeing that video footage and I was like, it's really odd that it's at the Biltmore. Last time on Hauntings in the Piedmont. We both charge at it, fling the door open, nothing. As soon as it's quiet after we bust the door, you hear somebody whispering. We introduced you to Chris Wilson and heard his story of what he believes is a woman who died at a park called Burr Mill, who may not have left Burr Mill. I'm watching everything be closed down, maybe two hours after that. I see something coming out of the floor. And the experience that changed how he views life and the afterlife. For whatever the reason, it, it didn't always like everybody, but for me, you know, I knew it was there, whatever it was, I heard the noises. Now we're headed 20 minutes southeast to the heart of downtown Greensboro and an historic hotel with its own story to tell. Needless to say, he don't stay in that room anymore. <laughs> um, the Biltmore Hotel Greensboro and our next storyteller, General Manager Brian Coleman, with a passion for the history of the building, who's come, who's gone, who's stayed. There is uh, energies that I believe that, that walk these, that walk the halls that just either they find the comfort here or there's an attachment to something. Again, largely without any edits, in the lobby of the hotel, so you'll hear footsteps, the floors creaking, and some of the most infamous ghost stories North Carolina has to offer. I'm Fox 8's Michael Hennessy, and this is Hauntings in the Piedmont. My name is Brian Coleman. I'm the general manager at the Biltmore Greensboro Hotel. It's B-R-I-A-N-C-O-L-E-M-A-N. And we're here at the Biltmore Greensboro Hotel at 111 West Washington Street in downtown Greensboro because we were or still are on the list of the most haunted places in the state. Perfect. So we'll start from the beginning, the history of the building. So the history of the building. The history of the building um, started in Greensboro um, in 1896. 1895, when Caesar and Moses Cone traveling the Southern Railroad will land in Greensboro, North Carolina, um, discover that the Quaker farmers here have amassed a huge amount of cotton and indigo because of the Civil War that's going on. Of course, nobody's buying cotton or um, printed cottons especially. Um, so what they do is they'll decide to set up shop. They'll purchase an iron mill. It will be converted into a cotton mill and they'll start purchasing that cotton and indigo from the local Quaker farmers. Two years later, in 1897, the city of Greensboro and the state of North Carolina will bring suit against Cone Exports and Commissions Company. The reason that they do so is because that the mill is generating so much tax revenue and the Cone headquarters are in New York. So that's where the money is going back to. So the city and the state want to, want to be able to retain this tax money. So they'll sue them to be able to do so. So I use the expression of Caesar and Jeanette Cone will bite their thumb at the city because in one afternoon in the summer of 1897, Jeanette and Caesar Cone will purchase every piece of available property in what was then considered downtown Greensboro. Of course, downtown Greensboro in 1897 was not what we now know as downtown Greensboro. It landed on the other side of Elm Street to where we're now in the heart of downtown. It would have been further closer to the depot 
Church Street, Davy Street would have been the major thoroughfares through that downtown at that time. So they'll, the last piece of property that they will purchase that afternoon is a two acre square at the corner of West Washington and Ash to the, it was the stone at West Washington and Ash to the pillar at West Washington and Green. And it was at a two acre square. Um, so what that does is that puts this building in that original footprint of that two acres. So where it went was from where the building is now. The alley originally was Green Street. And what we now know is Green Street was Ash Street at the time. So they'll purchase this entire two acre square. Um, and then they will uh, commission Orslow Epps, who was a favorite of, of the family. He built several homes for them in Flat Rock. Um, uh, I think he drew up the plans for Revolution Mill, but he built this building and the building that they'll move to in 1925. So the Cones will, um, Caesar and Moses Cone will open up 111 West Washington Street as the operating headquarters of Cone Exports and Commissions Company um, in the summer, again in the summertime, of uh, 1903. So this building will be described as well-equipped and state-of-the-art in every way. So this was the first building in downtown that was completely wired with electricity and fasted with indoor plumbing. And then in 1920, they do the building one better and then they'll install Greensboro's very first electric unmanned elevator. This building will serve as their operating headquarters until 1925. And in 1925, Orslow, by that time, Orslow has built them a new building around the corner that sits next door to the Carolina Theater. Um, and that's where they'll move. This building will then be sold to a team of cotton brokers that worked for them. One of those gentlemen um, is by the name of Philip Mullins. He left New York after his wife and son have passed away from fever and he will come to Greensboro to work as a cotton broker for the Cones. He somehow, him and his um, uh, business partners will be able to come up with enough money in a very short amount of time uh, for what their salaries would have been to purchase that most equipped state-of-the-art building in Greensboro, which was this one at 111 West Washington Street. At that time, once they purchase the building, they will establish a part, they will establish offices on the first, on the top two floors, and the bottom floor in the basement will be leased out to the Greensboro Post Office and will be the original annex for Greensboro's post office. That is um, from 1927 until 1933. The post office will abruptly leave in 1933 um, for two reasons. And that brings us to um, kind of the, the stories that surround the property. But from um, in, 20, in 25, they established offices upstairs and also sold the top two floors of this building to a very colorful lady from Stokesdale, North Carolina named Ava Taylor. Ava Taylor was a widow. Um, she will move to Greensboro. She is probably around the age of 32 or 33. And she has inherited a very large amount of money from her husband who was a Civil War veteran and owned a very large farm in Stokesdale. Um, so she wouldn't have inherited the property because she was a female at the time and that was, that was unlawful. So she evidently inherited enough money to purchase two floors of that well-equipped state-of-the-art building. She'll establish apartments up on the second and third floor. Um, so it was a two-room apartment with a tub and a toilet. So you had a bedroom and a bathroom, or a bedroom, a living room, and a tub and a toilet. There wasn't a, an actual bathroom, per se, as what we now know them. Um, so in 1933, the post office abruptly leaves. I'm not giving really much reason or what the case may have been, but 
1932, in the fall, late fall of 1932, Mr. Mullen's body will be found at, at the corner of West Washington and Green Street. Those were the documents that we found. Now, looking through that, if you think about the map of Greensboro now, Green Street is over there. So all of the windows in the building face out to the alley. So there's no way you can jump from a window and land on the other block. <clears throat> so that's when we discovered <clears throat> that Green Street originally was the alley in the entrance to the parking garage. So his body would have been found there just at the corner. He had supposedly jumped from one of the third floor windows. Now there are several stories that go around on why Mr. Mullins would have done so. He was embezzling or he found that there was some sort of, you know, problem or, you know, he had information he wasn't supposed to have. Okay, that could have possibly too, but the documentation that was found, that we found later, was that there was an odd literature mark around the gentleman's neck. Now, there never was a proper death certificate filled out by the corner of Greensboro or the city or the state for Mr. Mullins, but there was a train record where his body was considered cargo and was being shipped for burial to Atlanta, Georgia. Now, the folks who came and did a paranormal investigation and then took the picture that we have of Mr. Mullins and did facial recognition on it to discover that's actually who that is, um, of course, then we were able to trace back Mr. Mullins' history. Born and raised in New York, New York, married in New York uh, from a New York resident. His child was born in New York. There was no ties that we could ever find to Georgia, so why was this man's body being sent back to Georgia? We have no idea why. But Mr. Mullins uh, more than likely didn't jump from a third floor window. More than likely he would have been pushed. Um, the property at that time, by that time, the top two floors are being used as apartments. The post office is on the first floor. Um, so what the circumstances were, we're not sure. But Mr. Mullins must have really, really, really enjoyed his, his occupancy here at the, at the building because he, depending upon who you ask, he never left. Um, Philip has a habit of uh, uh, gracing the cheek of, of, of young ladies or, or females, period. Um, he'll tap you on the shoulder. Most people describe walking down the hallway and getting that spider web on the skin feel. Um, so you still can hear at night uh, people, we have the, the, the occasional <laughs> complaint, I guess, um, that someone paced the hallway back and forth, back and forth, all night long. So he will, so what they're actually hearing is the hallway, of course, now is covered in carpet. But what you're being heard is that leather men's shoe papping that hardwood floor. And that's what they hear. Or some people uh, report about hearing a man whispering at the door and to open the door and find that there's no one in the hallway. Um, there's actually a lady, we haven't seen her in quite some time, but there's a lady who lives in Summerfield who comes to the hotel on a Friday. She rents the room that contains the window that uh, Mr. Mullins supposedly had jumped from with her dinner for two, her cognac, her cigars. Of course, you're not being able to smoke in the building, of course, being a historical place or anywhere in North Carolina as a hotel. Um, but she has an affair, as she has put it, with Mr. Mullins. There has been several different people who have had run-ins with, with Philip. Um, the, one of the gentlemen who works at the local radio station bought um, some shoes. Comes back, sets them on the nightstand, goes to bed, wakes up in the middle of the night because he's hearing that rustling of that brown paper bag. Um, gets up in the middle of the night, of course, thinking that there's something in the bag. 
takes everything out of the bag to find that there's nothing in the bag, to cause the wrestling, puts everything back into the bag, sets the bag down onto the floor. Wakes up the next morning, all the shoes have been perfectly lined up along the edge of the bed, and the boxes look like someone had just picked up the bag and turned it upside down. Needless to say, he don't stay in that room anymore. <laughs> um, he won't even stay upstairs anymore. Um, he will only stay on the first floor. Uh, so Philip, Philip is the, probably the one who gets the most attention. I don't know if he's the one who wants all the attention, um, but he definitely gets it. Um, there is a several ghost uh, paranormal investigators that have came to the property um, to discover whether you know is any of these tales real or how much truth is behind them. Um, and the ghostdoc.com did the, did the video that you can find on YouTube of Philip Moves in Orange. Um, and it does show where they put a flashlight on the nightstand or the dresser, covered it in top in baby powder, put an orange in front of the light, and it moves without anybody actually touching it. Um, the part that they don't show you, though, is when the lights come back on, there's eight fingerprints on either side of that orange, like someone was literally standing there moving that orange back and forth. Um, so, 32, 1932 is, where, is when, when his body will be found. Um, at that point, uh, the, the building is still being serviced on the first floor in the basement by the post office, and on the top two floors by furnished rooms is what the city directory will describe it, at 111 and a half West Washington Street. In 1933, though, is when things dramatically change. The post office will abruptly leave. Ms. Taylor will be brought up on charges of impropriety, and there will be a young woman found at the foot of the stairs at 111 West Washington Street. Um, in the reports that we found, she was described as a young redheaded lady known to her friends by the name of Lydia. Um, of course, Lydia is a very popular name here in Greensburg, given the Jamestown Bridge and, and all the other stories around that particular name. But as I mentioned before, we did find that about 75% of females in the Guilford County in the city of Greensboro at that time's middle name or, last, or middle name or first name was Lydia. Given that the ladies here that stayed here at the Greenwich Apartments is what it was known as then, paid at $14 a week, which is $2 a day, for a two-room apartment with a maid, a tub, and a toilet, when a Caucasian male in Greensboro is making two bucks a week, the ladies can afford $14 a week to stay here. Um, so it's not a big surprise of exactly how Miss Taylor's ladies was subsidizing their, their income because they were not making that kind of money at the meal. Uh, so. In 1933, when the, the young lady is found at the foot of the steps, uh, Ms. Taylor is brought up on charges of impropriety and she is protected by the powers that be because she is a very popular female in the city of Greensboro and runs one of the most popular apartment buildings that the city probably has ever seen or probably ever will again. She situated herself just a block and a half from one of the busiest railroads in the south, which was Southern Railroad and its gate was here in Greensboro. Um, now Lydia, on the other hand, is a, an energy of a different story. We don't think that she's necessarily happy with, with what, um, with her circumstances. Third shift, we a report of hearing what people describe as a ball bouncing down the steps, except it's not, it, there's no sound of, of it descending, if you, if, if you get what I'm meaning. So instead of that bump, 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 it's more of a bump, bump, more like a heartbeat really. Um, it is thought that Lydia was pushed from the banister from the second floor, so there wasn't a tumbling down the stairs. In the time that I've been here since 2009, there have been five men 
who have filed reports that they have been pushed down the stairs. Um, several females that have stayed in the particular room that Lydia is associated with having nightmares. Um, a couple was interrupted during marital activities by the TV cutting on and off, the telephone ringing, and then that her husband swore up and down that someone was over his shoulder saying, shh, shh. Um, so needless to say, she was up all night because he wouldn't sleep. Um, he wouldn't go back to sleep. The gentleman who did the uh, installation of the artwork on the parking garage across the street, I get a telephone call at about 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. Um, it's the night clerk, and he's like, Brian, the guys that were doing the work on the garage, they threw their stuff down the stairs, didn't even put their shoes on, and now they're gone. And I'm like, well, did they say anything? You know, what was the deal? He was like, I don't know, they just left. Well, to find out, those gentlemen were supposed to have left that day, had to work over. The only room we had available was, the, was what we refer to as Lydia's room, or the pink room, as most people call, know it. Um, so that's where the four construction workers got put into a double-bedded room. So they probably weren't very happy to start with, but nonetheless. So the same situation will happen to each one of them. One of them will wake up because they hear what they'll describe as high heel shoes on, that, on the hardwood floor. So they hear that ticking. Um, get up, find that the bathroom door is closed, the light's on, they can hear water running like somebody's in the shower or running the water. Well, the only one of the four that does a head count is the last one. So he peeps back around the corner and notices, well, there's three people in bed, one person standing here who's in the bathroom. They never stopped, none of them were brave enough to open the door. Um, so what they did is they threw luggage and shoes down the steps and hauled butt out the front door and never said anything. I didn't find any of this out until the next morning when I came in and saw them still working at the parking garage. I was like, hey, you know what was going on? So then they described to me, they literally slept in their truck because they were so scared to come to go back in or to stay in the room. Um, there are people who are fascinated by Lydia and Philip as well, especially the lady in Summerfield's very fascinated with Philip. But we have had people bring Lydia makeup, jewelry, clothes. There is a gentleman who carved a dozen pink roses out of wood and rented the room and left them in there for her. And we left them for the longest time. Um, but uh, the other items, of course, we can't leave. But she has a habit of, you always know when Miss Lydia has been around. First of all, you'll smell her perfume in the hallway. I describe it as it's a very overt floral smell, um, like you're sitting behind uh, the, the, the old lady at church, and she has on far too much perfume. And it's just that waft of extreme floral all at one time. It doesn't take up the whole space. It's just as, as if someone has walked past you. Um, and then also, if that particular room sits empty for a length of time, for any length of time, you, we have to double check the bathrooms because it will literally appear as if someone with long red hair has taken a shower um, or a lady has stood at the mirror and brushed her hair. There'll be just a very slight crescent of very fine, very red hair on the floor. It's a very real thing. I've seen it myself, picked it up, mopped the floor. 
Um, so, and in the course of the electronics in that room, they do as they want to. If energy never dies, then this building probably breeds, given its history and, and everything that it's been through. Um, but those are the more popular ones. Those are the ones that people come looking for. We have had TAPS have come, ghostdoc.com has came. Um, so many people looking uh, for something. And of course, when you go looking for that sort of thing, you rarely ever find it. But those that do definitely have an experience. Um, and then, uh, of course, 117 years of history used as a office building, as an apartment building. The post office um, was here, as I mentioned, for a while. Um, and it will reside as an apartment building until 1968, when it's then transformed into the Greenwich Inn. Um, the 15 apartments will be turned into 20 guest rooms, three kitchens, a boardroom, a banquet lounge, gentlemen's lounge, and a ladies' lounge. Um, will have the English service standards. So what we're speaking of then is there's a lot of other different styles of people to where you start out with very affluent, the cones were very affluent, and then you've probably moved into the less desirable populations, but then you moved right back into the very affluent um, when, when, you, when it becomes the Greenwich Inn, and then again in 89 when they changed the name to the Biltmore um, uh, with, the, with the guests that gave them permission to be able to use that name. Um, so there's, there's been a lot of history and a lot of energy inside the building. So if it was actually used as a brothel, um, contraceptive, of course, at the time was not something that was very prevalent. These ladies were not proper women of society, so going to the doctor or seeing a proper doctor would not have been the case. Um, even Miss Taylor, who was taken to Kindred Hospital in 1943 and then returned to her apartment when 11 West Washington Street died upstairs. We feel like I feel like she still stands there at the top of those steps and guards um, whoever go, who's ever going up those stairs because if she was the house mother and you'd entered in through what is now the fire exit from the street, you'd have went up those stairs to her apartments. Um, so she would have wanted to know who was coming because, you know, rent had to get paid. Um, so so she, I think she's that energy that hangs out in the hallway or in the staircase and Lydia is very much in the, in, in, in the hall. There's a ceiling fan. This is one of my favorite things. There's a ceiling fan outside that particular room that on occasion will spin so fast it clicks. Um, and before we installed uh, the LED bulbs and all the fixtures in the hotel, and I was the maintenance person back before I became the general manager, I probably changed that light bulb and that ceiling fan at least twice a week. Um, we do not refer to her in any discriminatory fashion other than by her name or Lady of the Evening. Um, everyone who has done so has found themselves um, uncomfortable in some fashion. The gentleman who called her uh, by the W word found himself uh, head first down the steps. The maintenance gentleman, um, the maintenance guy that we had uh, for a short time uh, asked, well, you mean she was a you know, so-and-so, well, he ended up same. he turns around and falls, just falls face first right off the loading dock in the back end of the gravel. Um, you know, set of stairs right there before his eyes. Um, the, one of the general managers before me almost lost a toe because of referring to Miss Lydia in a derogatory remark. He's taking a group of visitors up the stairs and makes that comment. And there's a picture that comes off the wall that's probably been hanging there since the 60s. The glass breaks and it takes off the tip of his shoe down to his toe. Clear to the floor, through the leather, through the sole, right to the floor. Um, so, and, it, and, it's, and we've never had anyone, he was the only person that had any sort of negative experience. 
Um, everyone else's experience has been very positive. It's not an angry energy. I think it's more of something that's protective. Um, I think uh, from the medium that came, trying to discern exactly what the history of, of Lydia was, because given if she was a lady of the evening and, she, and there was a young woman found dead at the foot of the steps at a building that may or may not have been a brothel, they're not going to put a lot of investigation into it. Um, there was the, the Peacemaker here in Greensboro, the older newspaper, I don't know if it's still up and running or not. Um, they had a, a do you know about this section for a while in, in that newspaper and that's where we found that information of, of the young redheaded lady known to her friends by the name of Lydia found dead at the stairs of 111 and a half West Washington Street. Um, the little blonde headed boy that rides up and down the elevator, we have no idea who he is or where he came from. Um, but then again, he could have been somebody's kid from the 1930s or 40s or 50s or 60s when Miss Taylor ran her apartment building. Um, but he, he's probably the one that people vis visibly see the most um, or hear. Um, there is uh, energies that I believe that, that, walk these, that walk the halls that just either they find the comfort here or there's an attachment to something. Um, what will close the building, though one of the few times it's been closed, um, the first time, was in 1965 when there's a mass explosion in the basement. It'll be blamed on the boiler, but the boiler would have sat in the center of the building and the damage to the building at that time was done from the elevator to the back wall, the first and second floor. Now the way the building was built, if there was any explosion in the basement, there's no way it could go out because the building was completely constructed from brick and cast iron. Um, so the cones had no intention on this building ever going anywhere, um, obviously, and it hasn't. Um, but in the 65 explosion that was blamed on the boiler that would later be believed that Miss Taylor was making gin and moonshine downstairs in the basement. Of course, we are in Greensboro inside of Guilford County, so the production and transportation or consumption of alcohol spirited beverage um, was completely prohibited here at that time. Um, so if she has her ladies upstairs, and more than likely she's providing their kuchimon that would, um, that would uh, help those evenings um, be more profitable for her. So when the steel explodes in 65, is, um, we assume is where the tap-tap of um, what one of the owners describes as, as work boots on the concrete floor downstairs. Um, or uh, people have heard Vitrola music. You don't find a lot of those anymore. Um, from coming from downstairs, um, or men talking. And there is, we haven't quite, I haven't been able to pinpoint it yet, but there is a certain time and day of the year that the building shakes just ever so slightly. And if you're in the back of the hall, you can actually smell like something's burning. Um, that, I've, that I've witnessed myself, I've actually had a run in with Philip when I was a housekeeper here. Um, the front desk would open all the doors to the rooms that needed to be cleaned. And, um, and it's, if you've ever stayed here, there's a window in front of every single door. So when you open the door, the first thing you're gonna see across the room is a window. So I was coming around the corner, um, looked into the door just to make sure that the room was empty, there was nobody in there. There's a tall, lanky gentleman, long trench coat, round top, derby hat, with his back to the door staring, and just like face, almost face up to the window. You know, and I back up and I'm like, well, can I, just to discover that there's not anybody standing there anymore. So I get on the phone, in the room over, of course, <laughs> um, call down to the desk. I'm like, hey, do you know, did the guest in 332, that's the room number, everyone knows it, um, did the guest in that room leave? 
And they're like, yeah, they left hours ago. I'm like, well, if you see a gentleman in a long coat and a funny hat walking around, then, you know, he was, he was up here. And at that point, they told me that there was nobody here. And I was like, well, there's got to be somebody here. I saw him st staring out the window. And um, the general manager here was here that day, and he was like, well, when you come downstairs, I'll show you who you, who you possibly saw. And there's a picture um, of Mr. Mullins hanging in the hallway. Um, it was a picture that was taken out front on the steps in 1903 when they originally opened the building. Um, but even from that picture, you can tell that Mr. Mullins isn't quite like the rest. He's the only one with his vest open. His shirt's a little disheveled. His tie's not uptight. Um, and all the other gentlemen are very upright and proper, and he's just kind of slumped. Um, so <clears throat> it will also be found later that Mr. Mullins will have ties to the O'Carroll brothers. Now, the O'Carroll brothers, of course, being from New York, were the ringleaders of the Irish mob in the 1930s during Prohibition. And North Carolina is synonymous with making moonshine. So, what is my um, reasonable deduction, I guess, um, detective work, and through the, uh, the history of documentation and whatnot that, that we've actually been able to find on the building, um, was it's very possible that Mr. Mullins was supplying his cronies in New York with something that they couldn't get there, but was very prevalent here, of course, being alcohol. Um, which he could have been, you know, he, he worked for the Cones. He was possibly supplying, uh, you know, was running moonshine. So what would anybody want to throw him out a window for? Who would know? Um, but that's, 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 that we really have that strong feeling that Mr. Mullins didn't do that on his own, um, that he was pushed. Uh, Lydia was pushed as well. Um, I don't think um, her demise was that of natural or chosen as well. The medium did say about her, though, her favorite color was pink, um, which if you're, you know, a naysayer, that's not a far stretch from the imagination. A female's favorite color would be pink. Um, but she did confirm things that we already knew, her hair color being red, her name starting with an L, um, and her age. Um, air of all the ladies that stayed with Miss Taylor in her apartment building were around the age of ranging from about 28 to 33. Um, and that's just from the city directory because you can find their names. Um, but in the evening, if, if you're around, you can tell that the building takes on a very much different feeling than it does during the day. Right now, you have a tons of natural light coming through these huge windows into the lobby and even in the rooms upstairs. But at night, when the sun goes away, it doesn't feel as big anymore. It feels very much closed. It gets very quiet. Um, I've had, being the general manager, I've worked all three shifts, been here all different times of the day. I was the maintenance supervisor, so I've been in and out of the ceilings, the rooms, the walls, the floors. There's not much of the place that I haven't put my hands on. And the reason to, to bring that up is nothing was ever taken away. It was always covered up. For example, these 15 and a half foot ceilings were 20 foot when the building was opened in 1903, and the pressed aluminum and the pillars where they just knocked the pillar, the column off, is still attached to the ceiling up there, except this ceiling was put over the top of it. So it's still there. The back staircase, that was the downstairs for the, for the people that worked here, um, that's still there. They just covered it up with a wall. So these things that people have come in contact with, um, never left. So none of it was ever taken away. So if that energy was absorbed into these objects and that energy is still here. Um, but I think people, especially local folks, um, 
have, have a great deal of fun um, coming in, um, asking for those rooms particularly, which is very difficult to do sometimes, but we do try to fulfill those requests um, if people ask for those particular rooms. But, um, but it's fun, I think it's fun for people just to try to find and see what will happen. Um, the only person that I have ever experienced while working here that's actually seen Lydia, and it's one of my favorite stories, is there was a family, um, husband, wife, and two children, um, got, this is the beginning of a horror movie, it was a really bad rainstorm, they were on the highway, they got off the highway, come downtown to find a hotel for the night. Um, reason being is that their six-year-old son um, has autism, rarely ever speaks, um, according to what his mother tells me later. But, um, so they spend the night, I come in the next morning, first shift to do breakfast, to watch the desk, and the mother comes down the stairs up to the desk and she is very, very, very upset. Um, she wants to know who this redheaded woman is that's been hanging out in the bathroom with her son for the past hour talking to him. That she does not appreciate someone coming to their room, that this is an invasion of privacy, and you know, he has autism, he could have very rarely been taken advantage of, he doesn't speak much, but all he wants to know is who the pretty red-headed lady was, and she wants to know who this woman is. Well, so does the rest of us. So, you know, what do you tell of a woman who, or a mother who's in hysterics, who thinks that someone's been hanging out in the bathroom with her autistic child for the past couple of hours, carrying on some sort of, you know, conversation? So I had to tell her that at that time in the morning, or even while over through the night, there wasn't a female on staff. There wasn't even anyone who worked at the hotel at the time with red hair. Um, so I offered her a cup of coffee and a story, as I've told you. I don't know if she bought it or not, but I do know it only took her about 20 minutes to pack up her family, get their car, and leave. Um, but he is the only person that I know that's actually ever seen her. Um, so, but there are other things um, that you notice, um, you know, given these times when the hotel um, was closed uh, for three months due to the COVID pandemic um, and the lack of, and lack of travelers and guests, um, I was here every day. Um, so the building creaks, it makes noise, the, bill, the bell on the door will ring, there will be nobody there. You will hear, because you can't walk in this building and walk across the lobby and not be heard. Um, the 117-year-old hardwood floors creak when you walk on them, as they will should. Um, so it's not a very, you can't sneak around here. Um, so to hear the doorbell ring, to hear footsteps across the lobby floor, to hear a man's voice be like, hello? To get to the desk, and the building isn't very deep. It might take two and a half minutes, not even that much. Uh, 45 seconds maybe, to walk from the back to the front, especially if you're at a quick pace, to get up here to find that there's nobody there. And you didn't hear the opposite of what you did just hear when they left. Um, so, you know, you get the voice, the doorbell ringing, which is a constant, um, the footsteps in the lobby, uh, the bouncing sound in the hallway down the staircase, um, Philip hanging out in the, in the uh, hallway upstairs, um, tapping young ladies on the shoulders. We, uh, we assume from his fascination with shoes and as much as he likes to, to put his hands on females that he doesn't know, it must have been quite the snappy dresser in the ladies, man, who knows? Um, but, uh, but it's all those odd things, those weird sounds and things that you contribute with an old building. Um, and I don't think this one's any different. Um, Greensboro has a very rich history and uh, 111 West Washington Street 
um, being a part of that um, is just, it's just a cool place to hang out and be able to tell people. So how many people are known to have died here? Known? Four. Philip Mullins, the lady named Lydia, uh, Ava Taylor, and a gentleman about five years ago. Um, he had some leg surgery and um, he had a basement apartment. They had some water issues. He had, couldn't be staying there. So him and his caretaker rented a room here for a week. He was only here a couple of nights. Um, and unfortunately, his leg will slide off the bed in his sleep and the marrow in his blood system goes to his heart. And of course, it, um, and of course it kills him. Um, but shortly after that, um, when everything is all said and done, it might be two weeks later, um, we have a housekeeper who is reluctant to go into that room because of, of, because of the gentleman who had passed away in there. And um, so we convinced her that nothing was going to happen. It's just a hotel, you know, it's just a room, blah, blah, blah. And um, so she's going and she's making up the bed and dusting and taking care of things. And just out of the blue, the shade comes off the wall, lands right into the floor. Needless to say, it didn't help our case without <laughs> of not scaring the housekeeper, uh, but she was terrified. Um, and of course, it, it raised questions with the rest of us. More recently, now that the building has sat empty for, for, for a few months, and we've been open um, since July, had a few people coming and going, and the energies returning back just last night. Um, one of the front desk clerks, I get a call at, the, at home and asking me, you know, all these strange questions. I'm like, why are you asking this for? You know, what's the purpose? Well, this room door was open, all the lights were on. One of the closets in the hallway, the door was open, the lights were on. Um, lamps in the hallway were turned off. Um, and of course, he hears this, he's like, and there's a clicking sound on the second floor. I'm like, well, that's just the ceiling fan. I was like, Lydia must be around and about. So it seems as if the more people that are here is the more times you, you get stories from people um, uh, of, of different happenings, um, but it 95% of the time, it's those people who don't know any of the backstory that haven't come looking for anything supernatural. They're the ones who run into it. Um, they're, they'll be the one who walks through that proverbial spider web in the hallway, which is as wide as this room is. So. You would definitely see it before you walked through it. Um, and then, you know, people requesting, you know, whatever that fragrance is that you're spraying, it gives me a headache. We don't spray any fragrances, um, especially ones that smells like, you know, a thousand bouquet of flowers. Um, so, so yeah, it, it's, it's fun and interesting all at the same time. The explosion in the basement, mm -hmm. not the only explosion to happen under this building? Not the only explosion. So that, yeah, this building has been plagued. I don't want to say plagued because it hasn't been that many, but in its 117 years, the first explosion uh, was in 65, was in the basement. The second one was some three or four years ago, I think out front when the manhole explodes, uh, breaks out the front six windows and shatters all the original glass across the front, um, which was a very scary evening. Um, then the building has also survived uh, two hurricane or two tornadoes that have happened in downtown Greensboro. So we've had two tornadoes, two explosions, and a taxi cab. Um, a taxi cab was doing a U-turn 
in, on West Washington Street one evening and drove the Crown Vic up, the up those granite stairs and the front of that uh, car was just behind that chair that you're sitting in. Um, of course, destroying the original doors across the front so it was put back to, to the way that it is now. Um, so yeah, things, if, if there's something, uh, honestly, the, something could be going on in the city. It could be dead quiet, nothing happening, but it's going to happen here. And then the verse of that is true as well. Um, the, the city could, you know, uh, be ravished by whatever the case may be, um, but this building sits untouched. Um, why? We don't know. Uh, what's the purpose of it? Have have no idea, but I couldn't imagine the building being anything else other than what it is. Um, I think being a hotel or where people live, um, is it just suits it. Um, so kudos to the owners for, for buying a historical building to maintain it as what it was. How many people call you and say, I want to be in room 332 or what was the other room number? Uh, Believe it or not, it's 223. So we have 332 and 223. Um, don't know how that worked out that way, but it is a kind of a coincidence. Uh, but uh, I would say on an average, once a day, twice a day. Here recently, when the uh, ghost tour of downtown um, has picked up uh, a lot of popularity because people are you know, looking for things to do, um, it's become much more frequently. Uh, two or three times a day, people call or they'll come in and want to know the stories of it behind it. And um, given that some guests you know, appreciate that and some guests don't, uh, we don't make a habit of talking about it unless we're actually asked. What else haven't we talked about? Oh my goodness. Um, I think that, that pretty much covers the history of the property. I mean, the, the building, lots of people, I've, what I do hear a lot the most out of whatever everyone does is, you know, I've walked by this building for years and never knew what it was. Well, it's been sitting in exactly the same place for 117 years. Um, and uh, one of uh, the historical, uh, architectural historical buildings in Greensboro, um, and it hasn't changed at all on the exterior um, than it was in 1903 when the Cones built the building. The interior, of course, is, is, is much different than that. Um, it's now uh, been occupied um, on a regular basis um, since 1925. And to think that a building has gone through that much history, um, seen that much uh, action uh, or human interaction and that sort of thing, um, it's really amazing that it just doesn't get up and walk off on its own. Um, but you do, you do, you do constantly, I'll say constantly, have a feeling that you're not by yourself. Um, you turn a corner or walk down a hallway or you're sitting in an office or at the desk. And most recently, um, when, when the building was closed and there was just someone here during the day and then in the evening just to make sure everything was, was, was okay, was a snapping sound, which is new. Um, like someone was standing behind you, snapping their fingers. Like you weren't taking, you were taking too long at whatever you were doing. Um, they were snapping their fingers at you, which I thought was kind of odd because that was a brand new sound. We hadn't heard that one before. Um, and as soon as we opened and people were coming and going from the hotel again, that stopped. Um, no one hears that anymore. Uh, but the laughing children, the smell of smoke for no reason, um, footsteps in hallways, which is not uncommon um, for a hotel to hear people coming and going. 
Um, but a pacing on a, hard, on a carpeted hallway isn't something that you're going to hear. Um, perfume is going to assume a space. It's not just going to be very localized. Um, and whoever this little red-headed boy is needs to stay out of the elevator because it drives us crazy. Um, you hear that papping of that metal door. It's a brass gate, um, if you've never seen it. Um, but it is a brass gate with the, with the brass cage that goes around it. So it does make that papping sound and that hardwood door papping when it closes. Um, is very distinct. If you work here for two days, you'd recognize what that sound is. And then you hear the elevator move. And you'll go down the hallway and look through the door and there it sits. Um, you know, so a 100-year-old elevator, yeah, the 1920s, it turned 100 in May. Um, it doesn't move quietly. It's not like a modern elevator with that shh, and it just kind of goes away. No, this is a motor in a moving metal box. So it, it makes a certain amount of noise. Um, and to hear that and to find that, or to know that the front door's locked and there's nobody here, but the elevator still moves. Um, it can be kind of unnerving sometimes, but after a while you just get used to it. So the energy that stays here feeds off of the energy that comes in. I believe so. I believe so, yeah. Um, the more people that are here, um, the, the wilder the stories get. Um, we've had everything from like the lady who comes with cognac and cigars to a lady who was in the other in Lydia's room um, who comes down in the middle of the night has to check out because she has had the most horrible nightmare that she stabbed her best friend with a knife and then pushes her down a set of stairs. Now how coincidental is that? Um, so you know she's wanting to know um, and then again you have people who just go online and look and you know the, the history of it, uh, of, of, what all is, of what all has taken place and transpired within these here walls. Um, it's pretty amazing that the building is even still here. Uh, but thanks to Mr. Epps and uh, two layers of brick and 12 cast iron pillars, um, this building's not going anywhere unless it's intentionally taken down. But this is it. Let me look inside. I want to open the door. If we're lucky, she'll leave the door standing open, but most of the time she won't. Oh, and the lady that got locked inside. I didn't tell him that story. There's a purse. There was a lady who stayed here quite some time ago who was fascinated by the whole very story of it. So she left a little peak sequined evening purse and it was hidden in the room for the longest time and they, people just continuously find it and put stuff in it. Well, there was a couple of ladies, it was a nurse's convention or something, and they came to uh, spend the night and they got this room. The lady, one of the ladies left early in the morning, the other lady left later in the morning, but she found the purse. I assumed it was her roommate's purse that, and she left it behind. So she puts it in her suitcase to take it back to her. Then she goes to the door and tries to get out of the room and then it won't come unlocked. The door won't open. And my assistant at the time, Carlene, she's like, well, ask her if she took Lydia's purse. I was like, I'm not telling her if she stole the dead lady's purse. She's like, well, I'll ask her. She's like, okay. So she came up here, we're talking to her through the door, of course. And Carlene asked her, you know, did you find a pink sequined purse? She's like, oh yeah, I found my roommate's purse. I put it in my suitcase, I'll take it back to her. She's like, well, that doesn't belong to her, and can you put it back where you got it from? 
So, she, you know, you see her here wrestling with the suitcase and whatnot, and she's like, okay, I'll put it back. And then she turns the knob and the door opens. And the, pur the purse didn't even belong to, the, to Lydia. It was just a gift to her. But that, that's why this room was the only one painted pink. It's Limoges pink. It's the same color as the nursery at the Biltmore State, the girls' nursery at the Biltmore State. You just heard a brief mention of a woman named Lydia. Um, this story dates back to June 1923. A rainy night, a car ride that came to an end by a bridge. Her and her boyfriend were coming home from a prom or dance and they, it was really, it was a one lane. But legend has it, her rides were just beginning and her name may not have been Lydia after all. She's a hitchhiker. Um, she will flag you down to, and you pick her up, you go to take her. We talked to one of the people claiming to have solved the mystery of Lydia's Bridge next time on Hauntings in the Piedmont. If you like the podcast, rate it, comment on it, tell a friend, get the word out. Hauntings in the Piedmont is written and reported on by me, Michael Hennessy. Our editor is Chris Weaver.